Now, our first witness this morning is Butch. Well, when the fight broke out, I got stabbed in the back, and I, I pulled my knife and hit him. That was the first person I ever killed. Butch Crouch was a hell's angel who'd murdered people and then rolled over and became a government witness. He was giving up details of this crime only somebody that was there would have known about. What good's a man? In his right hand, he had an automatic handgun and blood over his chest. What exactly happened here? Two people were murdered. A house was set on fire. Because of Crouch, I've been hiding in the witness protection program for most of my life. But I'm done hiding. From C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13, welcome to Relative Unknown, a new podcast about the stories and family we can't escape. Download Relative Unknown for free now on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Before we get officially started, this show is at its best when listeners like you provide feedback and insight on our episodes. You can do this by reaching out to me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Andrew Jenks, or sign up for our contributor program, which is going amazing, at jenkspod.com slash contributors. What really happened is produced by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who's the man, Danny Garcia, and Brian Gewertz, who's incredibly underrated. If you like the episode, we'd love a rating and review if you have the time. Fort Collins, Colorado sounds like a beautiful place to live. Their website paints a pleasant picture. A short drive north of Denver, Fort Collins is a vibrant town full of local eateries, pubs, boutiques, and home to Colorado State University. With 300 days of sunshine, snow-capped mountains, idyllic lakes, and clear running rivers, it's hard to deny that people like to get outdoors all year round. It's also fairly close to the Denver International Airport, connecting residents to the rest of the world. On the afternoon of Thursday, October 15th, 2009, Fort Collins was experiencing another one of those crisp, sunny days. It was about 55 degrees, kind of perfect fall weather. But on Fossil Ridge Drive, a pleasant street with a cul-de-sac and right by the local school, something is rising from the ground. And you wouldn't believe this. It's a hot air balloon. And I kid you not, it looks like a flying saucer. It's a shiny silver color, and it's huge. And now, it's no longer just rising above the ground. It's literally flying through the air at an average of 30 miles an hour. It's plowing through the Colorado skies at over 7,000 feet. People start to take notice. How could you not? What the heck is going on here? Then, a 911 call comes in. Someone is stuck in the flying saucer. It's a six-year-old boy. Local news hears about this, or maybe they see it, and dispatch their news helicopters, usually reserved to track weather, not flying saucers. Eventually, cable news catches wind and goes live, live on Fox News. One of the strangest things in the history of my television career is going down. Live on CNN. If you are predisposed to do so and you want to say a little prayer, you might want to do so now. Live around the world. Authorities here rushing, rushing towards this balloon. And if you think you've heard the full story, I beg to differ. What in the world? Where am I? What just happened? Where is my mommy? I remember where I was when this flying saucer took to the skies. I was living in a dinky apartment in midtown Manhattan, editing a pilot for a potential MTV show about a week I'd spent with a rapper. I had a roommate at the time, and this is important to remember, named Matt Heineman. 
Matt was busy editing his own documentary, and Matt, as it turns out, has gone on to become an Oscar-nominated filmmaker, and he'll win plenty of Oscars as time goes on. You heard it here first. Anyway, I'm living in this apartment. It's Thursday, October 15th, 2009. It's about 11.22 a.m. Mountain Time, and a man named Richard Heaney calls 911. Uh, I'm, my, my family and I made an experimental um, flying saucer. It wasn't supposed to fly. The flying saucer is about 20 feet in diameter and 5 feet high. It was made from plastic tarps and is held together by string and duct tape. It's silver because it's covered with aluminum foil. And attached to the bottom of the balloon is a small wooden box strapped to the balloon by string and duct tape. Richard says his kid, before the flying saucer took off, had run into the wooden box. Richard didn't realize it until it was too late. His son's name, Falcon. Then they call Richard back. Do they have this right? Hello? Yes, is this Richard? Yes, it is. Okay, how long has the six-year-old been missing? Um, just a few minutes. Um, Was the flying saucer in the backyard? Yes. Naturally, they have to start understanding what the hell he means by flying saucer. It's filled with helium, and it operates off of a million volts. The call continues. No, he doesn't know how to operate. He does not know how to operate. So, and that's gone, though, too, right? So we are sure that he's in that. Yeah, we... We looked everywhere. Cable news channels catch wind, pun intended, of what's happening. Meanwhile, I'm editing in my bedroom. Matt likely was too. I have the news on in the background and something catches my eye. Something that is going on in Fort Collins, Colorado. I turn up the volume. For those of you who are just joining us, we believe there is a little boy in this balloon and it's been flying now for about an hour at least. If you're sitting in your living room watching it, I'm sure you are just as bewildered and befuddled as all the rest of us. Is this some sort of prank? I change the channel to see if others are covering this. Oh, yep, they are. Uh, this was not meant to go higher than 20 feet. Exactly, certainly not the, the 10,000, 12,000 feet. And never. the neighbor said it wasn't meant to be a manned aircraft. Never. It's a six-year-old boy who is inside an experimental balloon. Well, it's very small, but right. the compartment where, where Falcon, we believe he is, is incredibly small. This balloon, apparently made to track storms in Colorado by a storm chaser kind of guy. This makes normal breaking news look like an episode of the C-SPAN book hour. Unless you're into that sort of thing, in which case, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. We got a flying saucer on our hands. I, I, I'd hate to see. I, we, this could be an optical illusion, but, I mean, you see those power lines oh down boy. there. It just makes your stomach, just makes your stomach turn. I'm watching it from many different angles. I'm confused. All we need to know is, how is little Falcon Heaney? And that's all. That's, <laughs> that's all, all that's we right. need to know. Absolutely yeah. true. That's what this has all been about. Millions, and that is not an exaggeration, are now watching. But what we were all watching is unclear. Regardless, cable news has one hell of a story. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty strong piece of a, uh, whatever it is, Jiffy Pop popcorn bag looking thing. We've all been holding our breath for about an hour now. You know, every day, one thing about this job is, and every day you come to work, you don't know what the hell's about to happen. But all of a sudden, they're chasing a six-year-old boy flying around in a balloon from county to county. He's in there. Now... It's not just the local police, local news, cable news, viewers watching at home, and the family anticipating what happens next. It's the two military helicopters that have been called upon. The Colorado National Guard are dispatched. The Federal Aviation Administration is put on alert. Ambulances and firefighters are tracking the saucer 
and the boys every move. And don't forget, Fort Collins is right near the Denver International Airport. And guess where the saucer is heading? Yup. And the, the airport, is, of course... This is in the area east of Denver International Airport. Exactly. The, the airport is northeast of Denver. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So now the FAA starts rerouting flights. Can you imagine what the pilot had to say to those on board? Ladies and gentlemen, there's a flying saucer in the way. They start to make the story feel relatable. He's just in the backyard with the old man, you know, messing around with a balloon that's going to chase the storms, and they have plenty of them out there. There's a slew of questions, comments, and worries. What do the neighbors know? We, we own and, and, they, and they rent. Well, thank you, Mark. You're very, very welcome. I hope it was helpful. Before you know it, networks have aviation experts on air to give their take. John Scott's with us, and he's a pilot himself. We got, we got a guest uh, standing by now who's uh, uh, an expert on uh, these type of experimental balloons. I'm not really sure what to make of this, but I suppose I should say that some of the journalists covering the story say repeatedly that they don't really know if anything they're saying is true. I, I can't confirm anything, but his parents say he got up in the thing and, and away it went. Let, let's and be let's clear, we hope. still don't know. We still don't know. There are reports uh, that he may not be in there and we are not going to show impact. We will be on a delay. And then at about 1.35 p.m., the flying saucer starts to deflate. He's going down. You know He's what? at 100 feet. And look at this. Would you look at this? Bingo. And there's somebody oh, running man. towards him. Oh, my goodness. It didn't look like it was too hard. Oh, that was a spectacular landing. <laughs> yeah, they don't get much better than that. After taking off in the Heaney family backyard over two hours prior, it had traveled 50 miles and lands in an empty field about 12 miles northeast of the Denver International Airport. But something bizarre happens. I wonder why they're not opening it. I, I, I wonder, uh, too, do you have any uh, uh, thoughts on why that might be? No idea. Unless they think he's not in it. Nobody is in the flying saucer. No one in the balloon. The okay. mystery grows. And then another turning point. Reports come in that maybe Falcon has fallen off the flying saucer. Uh, we did uh, see uh, a little earlier a, a report from an undersheriff that the boy may have fallen out uh, somewhere en route. Well, and the question is, if he fell out of that uh, balloon, uh, Rick, you know, where is he? Did he get out uh, in time to where he's okay? Or But there is nobody inside this balloon. That's a tragedy. That's too bad. We have the father's name, but uh, we don't think it would be prudent at this point to release the information about his father. Given the fact that it appears that the boy may have fallen out of the balloon, then I'm sure you understand why we're going to withhold that information until officials tell us it would be the correct time to do so. If in case there is an issue here, we want the family to be notified before we announce it on national television. What a roller coaster. I'm an emotional roller coaster. I, I hope the family knows what happened. I hope he's, he didn't fall out at a great altitude. I hope, well, you, you, you can just, your imagination runs wild. So now there's a search. Where is Falcon? He must be somewhere along the 50-mile journey this balloon has just been on. One of the many problems is that the balloon has traveled over several areas where there are no roads. And then another turning point. Word gets out that this family was on a reality show titled Wife Swap, a show about what happens when a family, well, yeah, you guessed it, two families swap wives or mothers for two weeks. They were on an ABC show called Wife Swap, right. the family was, and here is a photo from that 
Uh, and is that the, the experimental craft behind I them? I think it is, Chuck. At 4 p.m., the county sheriff, Jim Alderden, says that they have undergone a recovery effort. I tried reaching out to the county police and the sheriff about this, but they didn't call back. Best I can understand, in this area of the country, a recovery effort is typically used when police or rescue workers are searching for a corpse. Just as the sheriff is saying this, somebody, I think a fellow officer, yells, they found him. He was in the attic in the garage in a a box. As it turns out, Falcon, just minutes before this press conference, walked into the family kitchen. He had fallen asleep in a box. Not a wooden box like the one underneath the flying saucer, but a box in the attic. Falcon said he was hiding because he was worried his father would be mad at him for playing around with the flying saucer in the backyard. But Falcon would soon say something very different. So my baby brother is the man. I would like to make the extremely important point that I am taller than him. But if height even matters, he's got pretty much everything else on me. He's been cooler and really smarter since at least high school. I once showed up to a high school party. I was a senior and he was a freshman. The popular kid from school opened the door. Hey, what's up, I said. The popular kid stared back. He had no idea who I was, or if he did, he didn't want me at the party. I thought for a second and, you know, was wondering to myself, how could I get into this party? Oh, well, I'm Matt Jenks' brother, I said. Oh, the popular kid responded. Why didn't you say so? Who doesn't love Matt? And that is true. Everyone loves Matt. And so I got him a gift the other day for no other reason than I love the kid. Did I tell you he's also really small? It's a framed poster of what he considers to be the most impressive film ever made, a documentary on the 1993 Bulls. Yes, there is a poster of that. It, in fact, exists. Now, with the holidays fast approaching, Framebridge is the easiest way to send truly one-of-a-kind gifts to everyone on your list, even if they're small. Here's how it works. Just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Preview your item online in any frame style, choose your favorite, or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The expert team at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece straight to you or wherever you need it. A completely handmade, personalized gift from FrameBridge starts at $39, is delivered in days, and all shipping is free. Plus, my listeners will get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when you use my code WRH. With just a few taps on your phone, Framebridge lets you create a -a one-of-a-kind gift that will win Christmas and make someone happy for years to come. Go to framebridge.com and use promo code WRH. You'll save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, promo code WRH, framebridge.com, promo code W-R-H, even if you're small. It's now Thursday evening. Wolf Blitzer is in for Larry King on Larry King Live. All of us are so excited that Little Falcon is just fine because so much of uh, so many of us all over the country today were deeply worried that he was stuck in that balloon. That balloon was out of control. And, well, kids sure do say the darndest things. I don't know if Falcon can hear me, but 
was he, because I know at some point he fell asleep in that garage, but he was hiding out because he thought you were going to punish him for something that happened earlier in the day. Uh, did he hear anything? Did he hear you screaming out, Falcon, Falcon? Uh, he's, he's asking, Falcon, did you hear us calling your name at any time? Hmm? You did? You did? Well, why didn't you come out? Um, you guys said that... Um, we did this for the show. Man. No. You didn't, um, come out? No. You can only imagine the millions of people watching at home. What did the kid just say? Um, I, I heard what he said, but I'm sure not, I'm not, it wasn't really, really clear. What was his, his reasoning why he heard, he heard you screaming Falcon, Falcon, and I'm sure his, he heard his mom screaming Falcon, Falcon, but why didn't he come out of the garage at that point? Well, you know, Wolf takes a commercial break. When he returns, he knows he's got to follow up on this one. You want to ask him now? I don't know if he can hear me. Uh, what he meant by what he said, we did this for the show. Let me uh, interrupt this real quick, because I think I just see the direction you guys are hedging on this, because I'm kind of appalled after all of the um, feelings that I went through up and down that you guys are trying to suggest something else. I don't want you to misunderstand that just asking the question doesn't mean, uh, Richard, that we're suggesting anything untoward or anything like that. We're just thrilled that Falcon is alive and well and your family is together. I, I got to tell you personally, as a reporter who, who reported that he was alive and well, it was a thrilling moment for me because, you know, I was really, really worried that I would have to report something very, very different. And I was just grateful uh, that he is just fine. Uh, you have a beautiful family there. Between Thursday morning and Friday night, information is revealed about the family. The Heenies had actually been on wife swap twice. They were on a second time because they had been selected as a fan favorite for the show's celebratory 100th episode. After this, Richard had been pitching a reality show to different networks titled The Science Detectives. A producer of Wife Swap would later say they were in fact developing a show. This caused some serious red flags. Was this done to get attention? Was this a hoax? An AP article reported that somebody who knew Richard said he is a shameless self-promoter who would do almost anything to advance his latest endeavor. The next morning, every morning show booker in America is trying to get the Heaney family on. The Heaney family, the parents Richard and Naomi, as well as the three kids, including Falcon, go on NBC's The Today Show and ABC's Good Morning America. Things go from bad to worse. Falcon, the poor kid, is not just uncomfortable, but sick. He vomits when his dad is asked to explain why his son said he was hiding for a show. I feel like I'm gonna vomit. Oh. You okay, buddy? By the end of the day, the Heenies stop talking to the press. The police say they are investigating it all, and the family eventually puts a note on their door. Thank you for all of your support. We are not taking any interviews anymore. We are tired. The Heaney family eventually admitted it was a hoax. Richard likely thought this mayhem could get him that reality show. Instead, he was sentenced to 90 days in jail and 60 days on work release, and ordered to pay $36,000 in restitution. His wife, Miomi, was sentenced to 20 days of weekend jail. But the story of Balloon Boy and the Flying Saucer is far from over.
I was reading up on this Balloon Boy incident, and I found an interesting quote a professor had said to a newspaper five days after the hoax. And to me, now nearly 10 years later, this quote seems quite prophetic, saying, The Balloon Boy story was a wake-up call to the media, but it's a wake-up call that every single one of us is going to sleep through. That was said by Bob Thompson. Bob is a beloved and respected professor at Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Public Communications, considered one of the top, if not the top, journalism school in the country. Bob has been at Syracuse for almost 30 years, and he's authored, co-authored, or edited six books. People often want to hear what Bob's take is on how the media is covering the news. David Rubin, former dean of the journalism school, once said, I've seen Bob get 60, 70, 80 media calls in one day. You could go so far as to say Bob is the most quoted academic in the United States. I found prophetic Bob's email, told him what I was working on, and he was nice enough to hop on the phone. I brought up to him this quote from nearly 10 years ago, first making sure it was accurate. Well, yeah, that was almost 10 years ago, and I I think, yes, it's it's absolutely true. If all the circumstances of Balloon Boy story were to happen again today, I think it would go down in a very, very similar kind of of way. So the wake-up call was that this, of course, turned out to be completely not a story. It's not a story that I think national media should have been following, even if it had not been a, a hoax. But I think given the nature of... Our news organizations, which depend upon maximizing audiences because they sell audiences uh, to advertisers, that's their income stream. There's no way that this story could not have been followed the way it was. And I think there's no way that we won't continue to, uh, to do it. Put it this way, during the, during the middle of that Balloon Boy story, there were a lot more people watching cable news than were watching it the day before at the same time. And by a lot, I mean a a really lot. Well, I thought, how can we return to the good old days? I'd been reading about CNN during the Gulf War and the extraordinary moment it was, how it was cable news at its finest. Bob kindly told me otherwise. Well, that was a big moment for cable news. But for the most part, the short first uh, Gulf War was CNN became the war channel. It was essentially 24 hours a day coverage of that very short war. But... It's also true that unlike the Vietnam War, where you had Morley Safer and Dan Rather and uh, all those other people, uh, you know, right in the midst of combat, most of what we were getting was video releases from uh, the federal government and uh, and press conferences. So it it wasn't the same kind of uh, extraordinary coverage that we had gotten during the Vietnam War, and that wasn't a coincidence. Uh, the government learned from the Vietnam War that they didn't want that kind of coverage, because as you recall, the coverage of the Vietnam War led to first students being upset about the war, and then enough of the population uh, being upset about the war that uh, you know, we, ultimately, we ultimately got out of it. CNN hit the airwaves on June 1st, 1980. Its first few seconds started with this. Okay, so it took them a quick second to get the video up. But sure enough, at 6 p.m., Ted Turner, the media mogul and founder of the network, appeared before an audience outside the CNN headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. He wore a blue blazer with his thick mustache and long sideburns. Before he cut to two anchors who'd start the news, a husband and wife team, he stood at a podium. While it's not some quick soundbite, 
If there's nothing else you take away from this podcast, please let it be this. After thanking coworkers, family, and a few others, Ted Turner outlines his intentions for CNN. You'll notice out in front of in front of me that we've raised three flags. One, the state of Georgia, where we're located. Second, the United States flag, of course, which represents our country and the way we intend to serve it with the cable news network. And over on the other side, we have the flag of the United Nations because we hope that the cable news network with its international coverage and greater depth coverage will bring both in the country and in the world a better understanding of how people from different nations live and work together and within the nation work together so that we can perhaps hopefully bring together in brotherhood and kindness and friendship and in peace the people of this nation and this world. I'm now going to read a a little poem that was written by Ed Kessler of Dedication. To act upon one's convictions while others wait, to create a positive force in a world where cynics abound, to provide information to people when it wasn't available before, to offer those who want it a choice, for the American people whose thirst for understanding and a better life has made this venture possible. For the cable industry whose pioneering spirit caused this great step forward in communications. And for those employees of Turner Broadcasting whose total commitment to their company has brought us together today, I dedicate the news channel for America, the cable, News Network. I spoke more with Bob Thompson and asked him, what about when cable news or even broadcast news was actually the news? Bob again corrected me. Well, the first part of it, it implies the idea that there is some kind of perfect news organization that we wish we could have. And I think we can all imagine what that would be. Stories would be told that we need to know as citizens so that we can more effectively uh, be citizens and exercise our rights as citizens uh, and all, all of the rest of it. But not only is that not going to happen, given the uh, economies of uh, uh, news organizations, I'm not sure it ever happened. News didn't used to be nearly as entertaining on television in the early years because news didn't make any money on television in its early years. So we had uh, 15 minutes of news, and it was pretty much the, the reading of headlines and the showing of newsreels and all the rest of it. And I guess that we, would, uh, we might consider the, the purest form uh, that, it, uh, that it ever entered. But we shouldn't get too nostalgic about this. One of the very first news shows on television was called The Camel News Caravan. And it was sponsored, you guessed it, by Camel Cigarettes. The makers of Camel Cigarettes bring the world's latest news events right into your own living room. Sit back, light up a camel, and be an eyewitness to the happenings that made history in the last 24 hours. Produced for Camel Cigarettes by NBC. 
Ladies and gentlemen, a good evening to you. And of course, the person who gave us the news had a camel ashtray, an ashtray with the word camel uh, in front of it. So at the very infancy of television news, its dependence upon advertising, um, its content uh, based upon what the medium demanded was present there in that one of the first news shows actually had the name of the advertiser in the title. By the time we got to the uh, late 1960s, news was starting to make money. There was a lot of news uh, going on. And uh, I, I think entertainment to some extent and news were always blended. Uh, you know, the graphics and uh, the cute story at the end of each uh, news broadcast. During our conversation, Professor Bob Thompson made several interesting points, one being that you could really break down the Balloon Boy hoax into a three-act play. Act one was the tragedy of the absurd. The balloon goes up. Oh, no, there's a six-year-old boy in it. Then it finally comes down. It looks like it comes down safely. People covered that landing. It sounded like we were landing on the moon for the first time. But then, alas, the act ends in tragedy. The kid's not in there. And suddenly reports are coming in that somebody saw something fall from the aircraft uh, uh, at some point uh, during its, its flight. So uh, it ends on this, oh, the humanity moment. But then act two, of course, becomes a comedy of the absurd. The, the family goes on TV, and the kid makes this something of a confession, and then he throws up into a Tupperware. After speaking with Bob, I thought more about this. Television news does feel like it oftentimes is really more about telling an entertaining story. Balloon Boy and the Flying Saucer had so many of the essentials when you talk about what makes a good story. I spoke to screenwriting guru and legend Robert McKee. McKee is the author of several books on storytelling. I talked with him about a storytelling device known as the inciting incident. The inciting incident is the point in a plot that begins the conflict in the story, when the protagonist starts to take action. But McKee points out another way to really understand when the inciting incident starts. True inciting incident will project an ending in our imagination. If we can't imagine the ending yet, we know we haven't gotten to the inciting incident. In our Balloon Boy story, the news coverage picked up at very earliest about halfway through the Flying Saucer's ride. Thus, the inciting incident started the moment you turned on the TV. The second you turned on the channel and saw those images, you could already imagine, you could already envision the different potential endings. For good measure, TV commentators were doing so as well. We may still have a fatality situation here. Who knows? I mean, I don't think you can... Uh, you got to have oxygen. Put it that way. You, you got to have oxygen to live. As McKee says, the inciting incident is when the protagonist starts the journey. And in a way, in this story, there are quite a few protagonists. Not just Falcon, who we thought was up there and we're rooting for. Not just the women and men in ambulances tracking the balloon. But maybe even us, the viewers, were protagonists because... As you hear from this CNN commentator, maybe we could make a difference. And we have just been told this thing is now down to 300 feet. Now it's at 100 feet. Let's us all take a deep breath. If you, uh, if you are predisposed to do so and you want to say a little prayer, you might want to do so now. Now there's a term that goes way back and Joseph Campbell helped popularize called the hero's journey. 
The hero's journey usually comes before the inciting incident, informing you on who the main character is and where she or he is in life. It sets things up. Now, you know when you sometimes watch a movie and say, man, this beginning is slow. Let's get this started. McKee says one reason is... I think uh, can be traced to the overuse or over-reliance on uh, the, the hero's journey myth. Fucking journey. Us viewers didn't really need a hero's journey in our balloon boy story because all we needed to know was that there was a six-year-old boy in a flying saucer. Just like the old days, advertisers are still vital when it comes to programming. But many podcasts, and definitely this one, are a bit different. So for instance, let's say Camel Cigarettes wanted to give us a ton of money for the show. Believe it or not, I'd have to approve it first. In fact, we've had cigarette companies approach us in the past, and because, I don't know, I just don't want to for a variety of reasons, I've said I wouldn't have cigarettes be a sponsor. It's pretty incredible. I've had shows on different networks and remember riveting moments, or at least I think riveting moments, with people's lives on the line, followed by someone saying, do you want a better sexual experience? There being some condom commercial airing right after the first act. But not with this show, which is why I'm happy, I'm thrilled, that instead I get to say things and talk about products I don't only use, but I like. Take Sleep Number, for instance. We all know sleep is important. But consider someone you know who is in the military or a veteran. Imagine how much a good night's sleep means to them. From military heroes to everyday heroes, the new Sleep Number 360 smart bed helps everyone get the proven quality sleep that will change their life. My Sleep Number setting is 40, and my partner's is, well, here we go again. I don't have a partner. So many couples disagree on mattress firmness, from what I've been told. Sleep Number beds let you choose your ideal firmness on each side so it's just right for both of you. The new beds are so smart, they censor every move and automatically adjust to you, keeping you sleeping comfortably. Come in during the Veterans Day sale and save $400 on a Queen Sleep Number 360 C4 smart bed, now only $12.99. Plus, there's exclusive savings reserved for military and veterans. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 550 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Visit, and this part is important, visit sleepnumber.com slash WRH to find the one nearest you. Us viewers didn't really need a hero's journey in our balloon boy story because all we needed to know was that there was a six-year-old boy in a flying saucer. You know, every day, one thing about this job is, and and for these first responders too, John, every day you come to work, you don't know what the hell's about to happen, but all of a sudden they're chasing a six-year-old boy flying around in a balloon. So whether he was a mean six-year-old or a nice six-year-old, cute, annoying, funny, spoiled, whatever, nobody wants a six-year-old stuck in a flying saucer to go poorly. So we're in. We didn't need to spend a second getting to know this six-year-old. We were ready from the beginning. It worked out perfectly. In fact, had we gotten into the hero's journey and gotten to know Falcon, we would have discovered his father, Richard, was trying to get a reality show. We would have put the pieces together and known from the beginning this whole thing was a hoax. We would have never gotten Balloon Boy. Then, I thought about this flying saucer. What's interesting is that 
In so many ways, a flying saucer going through the sky is something we've seen in stories forever. The flying saucer is an old concept. I went through my conversation with Bob Thompson and was reminded of this. I mean, when you look at what this this had going for it, I mean, it's a it, it's a, a silver thing shaped like a flying saucer. We think that it has swept up a six-year-old child. This goes back to the deepest part of our fears, uh, fairy tales about being swept up by flying beasts and all the rest of it. What a great point. Then I thought about how Robert McKee talks a lot about this in a larger perspective, that we're oftentimes regurgitating stories carrying out old conventions. But good stories carry out these conventions in a certain way. If you're going to, if you're going to work in a genre that is as well-tread <clears throat> as action and horror and sci-fi and what, you know, um, whatever, you got to carry out the convention in a fresh way with new, specific, uh, never-seen-before variations on that convention. And if the variations are not sort of, you know, pop your eyes open, going, wow, yet a, a really ingenious way of doing the same old thing, if you can't come up with an ingenious way to do the same old thing, it's the same old thing. We have seen a flying saucer in countless stories. We've also seen a child being taken by someone or something in countless movies and shows. But a kid being taken away by something, much less a flying saucer, as live breaking news, this was innovative. Oh, wow. This is phenomenal, phenomenal news. We've been watching this I'm play watching out. it, I see it. The thing could stay up there for hours or days if it's not leaking helium. That a, that a hard landing would be a very difficult thing because the thing is not all that stable and it's not meant to have a human being in it. Richard Heaney wanted to get attention, likely because he wanted to get his own reality show. And the story he put together to achieve this goal regardless of what I think of it and the judgments I make, was perfect. This is where Richard's past in reality TV, I think, makes a world of difference. Ten years ago, when I was watching all of this go down, I was editing that MTV show, just down the hallway from my Oscar-nominated friend, Matt. The first episode eventually became a show titled World of Jenks. Talk about someone looking for attention. On the show, we'd have upwards of about six editors and four story editors working all at once on different episodes. And all of these editors were incredibly gifted. Many were directors in their own right. Many had edited films you've perhaps seen, films that have premiered at Sundance or on HBO, Netflix, National Geographic, and plenty of other channels. After I realized that I was surrounded by such incredible talent, I finally began to ask around. What are these people doing working on my MTV show? Yeah, I was quite proud of it and we did pretty well, but what was going on? As it turns out, we paid well, and that can't be overlooked. But there was something else. I was talking to an editor, one of the best documentary editors in New York City. She understood story better than anyone and had directed some ambitious movies. Not only this, but she could edit quickly. She could edit a scene faster than most could understand what the story within a scene was even about. Looking back on it, it's an obnoxious question to ask, but I'll be honest, I did ask it. Other than the money, is it demoralizing to be editing reality shows? She could have quipped back, well, Jackass, you're the one that created a reality show and is starring in one, but instead she said, no, it wasn't. 
She explained that reality shows keep you crisp. They keep you on your game. Reality shows often have quick turnaround times. You get the footage, a bunch of footage, and you got to edit it all together and create a story. If it's a half-hour show, once you take into account commercials, you're left with 24 minutes to do this. There's no time for things like I indulge in on this podcast, go down rabbit holes, or venture off script a bit. You need to use all of the storytelling devices you can to create a story-driven show, regardless what you make of the material. Pacing, character development, conflict, rising action, conclusion, you get it. This is my long-winded way of saying that in so many ways, Richard Heaney had already experienced firsthand from WifeSwap what it took to put together a great story. He had been filmed for days, likely a couple weeks, and saw how this footage was taken and used to tell an entertaining story. While I may have thought of Balloon Boy and the Flying Saucer as something silly and simple, putting a kid in a balloon, it grabbed the world's attention for a reason. I was confusing simple with dumb. Richard also did quite a bit of producing outside just the building of the Flying Saucer. How crazy is it that that is even a real sentence? In fact, the AP and others have reported that Richard didn't call 911 first. He called the local news channels to get choppers up in the air. He knew he needed to get this filmed. Had there been drones available at the time, you better believe he would have used those, and perhaps we would have believed it did happen. He wouldn't have had to rely on his son keeping up the lie. He wouldn't have even needed the news to pick it up. Maybe he would have gotten that reality show. Maybe it'd still be on today. As it turns out, according to a man in the area who knew Richard, Richard had been planning this stunt for over a year. Am I saying this is the work of one of the great storytellers of our time? No. But I'm saying it does take a game plan and an understanding of story. Also, I'm not applauding this as some noble act. While Richard was calling 911, who knows who else was trying to call 911 with a real crisis? While ambulance and police were driving around trying to follow the flying saucer, who knows where else they could have been, where else they needed to be? Although it seems impossible to verify, when it was all said and done, estimates are that the hoax, the resources required to make sure nobody was hurt, cost taxpayers around $2 million. When I was a kid, I made what I'd consider my first documentary. It was a family video including my grandparents, cousins, parents, and my itty-bitty little brother, who these days isn't so tiny. It was a hit, at least I thought. My family went on to lose the masterpiece. I've interviewed my grandfather through the years, other family members, always trying to bring to life my family history. For me, I've always been fascinated by this, understanding unknown family members, bringing to life those that give me a better understanding of who I am. There is always ways, which I love, to do this, not just using home video footage, but science. Whether you're getting together with family this Thanksgiving or just curious, 23andMe gives you the chance to discover more about the genetic connections you share. Did you inherit your mom's incredible personality or your dad's outstanding charm? And how much is in your DNA compared to your brothers or sisters? With 23andMe's Ancestry Composition Report, you can explore where your DNA is from out of 150-plus regions worldwide. Discover the origins of your maternal and paternal ancestors and how they moved around the world over thousands of years. 
You can trace parts of your ancestry to a specific group of individuals from over a thousand years ago. With 23andMe, you can also get an overview of the diverse group of people who share your DNA. Find other 23andMe customers who share your DNA and ancestors. Explore matches that range from close family to distant relatives and make new connections. You can always choose to opt in or out of this tool. The point is, now through Thanksgiving, 23andMe Ancestry Service Kits are only $49 per kit when you buy two or more kits. That is 50% off the regular kit price of $99 this holiday. Order your 23andMe Ancestry Service Kit at 23andMe.com slash WRH. That's 23andme.com slash WRH. What I've thought is the thing about cable news is that it's not really that. It's not news on cable. It's entertaining news on cable. The entertainment value comes first, then maybe the news. Said the professor, Bob Thompson. As long as you've got big news operations that depend on getting big audiences, they cannot say no to a story like Balloon Boy. MSNBC's Ed Schultz would go on to regret not covering Balloon Boy in the way others did. We are trailing CNN for the month of October, so we got to get after it, Ed Eds. We don't want to lose, do we? Come on now. That's, the balloon story really screwed me up. You know, it's what happened. They, they cook up this balloon thing and we got to cover it. And everybody runs to CNN to the tune of three, four hundred thousand more people. Now I got to bust ass here to the end of the month to make sure we can win this thing again. That's what happens. That's just the culture of it. I couldn't find a political angle on the balloon thing. And as great as the story was, even when it turned out to not be true, the kid was what in a box in the garage attic they still couldn't let go of it if you turned on the tv the next day it was balloon boy all over the place to be clear i respect some of these networks or at the very least divisions within some of these networks there are reporters who go places most of us can never imagine they receive death threats their families lives can be threatened also cnn has had some documentary series like anthony bourdain's show or lisa ling's show that i think provide meaningful insight in fact I pitched a film for years about a deaf high school football team in California. Nobody would finance it because they thought a movie with all subtitles wouldn't do well, and it was just too earnest. CNN Films gave me the money to make it a short film when nobody else would. With that, I just don't understand, should they really be called news channels? Maybe that's the problem, that they are saying they are news channels and just need to be called something else. I looked into who could change this sort of thing, and it'd likely be the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, an independent agency in charge of regulating what we see on TV and how it is presented. Could the FCC just label these channels differently? Once again, Bob said, not so fast, homeboy. Theoretically, the idea, as you point out, is can the FCC uh, make some kind of regulation that you can't call it news if it's not news, and a kid flying away in a balloon that he's not really in is not news. But, okay, that's simple enough. Balloon Boy is simple enough to say that shouldn't have been covered. But then we get to the point is, what is the definition of news? A lot of people said that news really went off the rails with the coverage of the O.J. Simpson story. 
the Bronco chase and all that kind of thing. But in the end, I think a lot of the wall-to-wall coverage of that was actually useful. That was an important story. That was about the relationship between police and the community in Los Angeles. It was about celebrity. It was about all kinds of really important kind of issues. So who gets to decide what constitutes news and what constitutes, I don't know, entertainment or fluff or whatever? And I'm not sure I would want to entrust the ability to do that responsible to the Federal Communications Commission. They have a hard enough time defining, uh, you know, what constitutes uh, uh, their indecency rule, which is pretty much poo-poo, pee-pee, and S-E-X is about as best as they were able to do. While working on this episode, I got an email from my buddy Matt Heineman, my old roommate who was just down the hallway in that other room while I was watching this whole thing go down. Since we live together, he's made Cartel Land, City of Ghosts, and his latest movie was coming out, titled The Private War. It's a drama based on the incredible story of journalist Marie Colvin. The movie shows the sacrifices required of journalists on the front lines. I think it's one of those films that come along every few years that can change how you think about the world. The point is, he was in New York to premiere the film, and he was nice enough to stop by the studios for a quick interview. I was thinking we'd air the interview for a series we'll air later on in 2019, but as we spoke, I realized what he was saying was vital to this story. Matt is many things, including a filmmaker and journalist. He's one of the most humble people I've ever met. So humble, in fact, it took me a while to get him to talk about himself in any way. But I did ask him to just at least go through some of the places he's been and filmed. I've been... Of conflict zones, I've covered you know pretty intense situations. I've you know I've been in shootouts, I've been in meth labs, I've been in torture chambers, um, you know safe houses with people who are getting hunted by ISIS. You know a lot of places that you don't necessarily want to find yourself. While talking about his work, I found myself asking him what he thought of cable news. You know I don't like watching things that preach to a choir. You know I think it's so important to create dialogues between you know all sides of an issue, whether it's political or societal or, or whatever it is, and, and, and not just, you know, be screaming to the people that already believe what you believe in. But Matt made an important point in all of this, the value of journalism and all of the great journalists out there, working hard and oftentimes putting their life on the line, just like his new film so brilliantly showcases. I think journalists have been and should be you know, the bedrock of a free and independent society. Uh, I mean, you know, there there obviously are great investigative journalists and, and good people telling great stories, and I'm not... But, like, you know, there's less and less money in foreign bureaus. Uh, there's le- less and less money in, in long-form investigative journalism. And um, I find that quite sad. My question for Matt was, so how do we get people to care? How do we get people to watch films like his that oftentimes deal with topics that are tough to watch? After all, I doubt I would have stopped editing and turned up the volume on CNN if they were reporting about a war in some faraway land. I turned up the volume to watch because I saw a flying saucer soaring over Colorado. You know, it's human nature. It's, it's you know, you don't want to engage in things that upset you, you know, and you want to, you often keep these things at arm's length. It's so much easier to live in the here and the now, and, you know, and everyone shouldn't be stressing about everything in the world every day, otherwise... You know, we have a world full of crazy people, but um, 
I don't know. I, I, I have this belief, whether it's naivete or know, hubris or I don't know, something, uh, that film, storytelling, podcasts, whatever form of, of storytelling we're talking about, has the ability to bring people together, has the ability to create dialogue, has the ability to um, foster discussion and make people stop and think and care. Richard Heaney and his family have gone on to claim it wasn't a hoax and that it actually happened, that he really did think Falcon was in that balloon. Richard said he only pled guilty because he wanted to protect his wife, who he says was threatened with deportation. I attempted to track down Richard and his family I wanted to give them a chance to tell their side of the story, but I couldn't get a hold of them. What's the latest with the Heaney family? His three kids had formed a band and in September 2014 had a song titled Balloon Boy, No Hoax. One song included the lyrics, Threatened to depart my mother, my dad copped a plea. Can't take me down, floating higher and higher. You can suck my ass. It continues with, And who the hell is Wolf? A reference to Wolf Blitzer. Richard has continued trying to sell various devices, including a $20 bear scratch, which attaches to a wall, allowing one to scratch your back like a bear. There's also his Your Shakedown, a device that finds lingering remains from jars of ketchup, mustard, or mayonnaise, and sells it for six payments of $29.99. You can go online if interested and read more about what the family has been up to, but I can't believe I'm still talking about it. What I do find interesting Two hours away from Fort Collins, where the infamous flying saucer took to the clouds of Colorado, is Fort Carson. Both Fort Carson and Fort Collins started as army bases. Fort Carson, unlike Fort Collins, remains not just a U.S. Army base, but an historic one. It was established in 1942, following Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor. Revered soldiers have spent considerable time at Fort Carson. To name just a few... Former Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Martin Dempsey, former Supreme Allied Commander of Europe, Wesley Clark, and former Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and U.S. Secretary of State, Colin Powell. Like Fort Collins, again just two hours away from where Richard and his family lived, and also in Colorado, Fort Carson is known for its scenery. Probably one of the reasons the approximately 137,000-acre fort is one of the most requested duty stations in the U.S. Army. A 15-hour flight away from Colorado is Afghanistan. On October 15, 2009, the same day the Balloon Boy hoax took place, the 569th Mobility Augmentation Company, 4th Engineer Battalion, from Fort Carson, Colorado, was fighting in Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. The battalion hit an IED, Four soldiers died. The ages of these four soldiers were 28 years old, 33 years old, 34 years old, and 19 years old. They were four of the 15 soldiers who died from Fort Carson, Colorado that month. The leadership of these women and men from Fort Carson is clear. Said one soldier in a letter about his fellow soldier and friend who died on that day, I would have followed that man straight to hell if he thought it was a good idea. It's also important to know, on that day in Afghanistan, a woman and a child were killed in crossfire. Two more wounded civilians were found and died later that day. Now, to take a wider look at all of this, I watched a speech by war journalist Lara Satrakin. 
She reported that less than 1% of all news stories right around 2009, which is the same year Balloon Boy happened, went to the war in Afghanistan. And about 20% at most were about the citizens actually living in these war zones. These people were dying in war. And on the night of October 15th, 2009, NBC News began their national broadcast with this. Good evening, I'm David Gregory. In tonight for Brian Williams, we begin with a bizarre drama in the skies. CBS News began their broadcast with this. Americans were mesmerized today by an incredible drama playing out on live television. ABC News began their broadcast with this. Welcome to World News. Tonight, mystery flight. Terrifying moments as a six-year-old reportedly flies away in an experimental balloon. When it landed, the boy was missing. I think it's safe to assume you're smart enough to decide for yourself where to get your news. I've realized that I kept pointing at others for reporting about senseless news like the balloon boy. It's cable's fault. It's advertisers' fault. When in reality, the advertisers are only following what I'm watching, what we're all watching. Reporters, great journalists, will be forced to go cover balloon boy if we the people are saying that's what we want to watch. So if anyone is to blame, it's me. I was sitting there that day watching Balloon Boy. Unlike when CNN first started, there isn't just multiple news channels or entertainment channels. There are websites, news feeds, and outlets where I can get my news. Information is everywhere. Now, more than ever, we all have a choice to decide for ourselves what really happened. The Camel News Caravan presents... Today's news today. Again, I want to give a special thank you to Sleep Number. Their new beds are so smart, they sense your every move and automatically adjust to you, keeping you sleeping comfortably. The important part is that if you come in during the Veterans Day sale, you can save $400 on a Queen Sleep Number 360 C4 smart bed, now only $12.99. Plus, there's exclusive savings reserved for military and veterans. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 550 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Visit sleepnumber.com slash WRH, as in what really happened, to find the one nearest you. Next week on What Really Happened, it's 1876. Buffalo Calf Road Woman, also known as Brave Woman, miraculously saves her brother from death against the Americans trying to take over their land. She becomes a war leader for her tribe. Only 15 years ago, Northern Cheyenne storytellers broke more than 100 years of silence about a different battle. And as it turns out, they credited Buffalo Calf Road Woman with striking the blow against the enemy's leader. Who was this leader? A Civil War hero. Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer. A story of peace and war, heroes and villains, myths and facts, and a question of trying to understand what really happened.